It is Thursday, December 17th here at DraftShark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 15 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. It is semifinals week in most fantasy leagues, so we will try to avoid the extraneous talk here. Focus on the real decision players this week that you're deciding on as you set your lineups for the semifinals or, you know, whatever your league is at. Of course, you should head to DraftSharks.com anytime check out the full week 15 rankings make your final decisions you can find the who do i start comparison tool if you're a ds insider you can even always email us with that final question that you just can't get yourself settled on we'll give you a little help for that last one let's get to the week 15 matchups though and it starts with a guy who has already moved down our rankings for the week jared the chargers at the raiders on thursday night raiders by three over under a 54 which is highest of the week unless it has dropped since i actually put that number down and I wouldn't be surprised if it dropped because the Chargers offense has struggled lately and it's hurting going into this game. It was already down to 52 and a half when I checked this morning. I, I haven't checked in the past few hours. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of injuries on both sides to consider. I know the Raiders defense is missing. Well, I think it's like four starters, a couple guys mm-hmm. in the secondary, Cleveland Farrell. Um, but the, the Chargers are, sounds like definitely going to be without Mike Williams. Um, Keenan Allen sounds like a true game time decision. Adam Schefter says he'll be limited even if he plays. So, I mean, Justin Herbert had already dropped to like borderline quarterback one territory in our rankings before these injuries with the injuries. He's, you know, now outside the top 15. So he's definitely benchable. If, you know, you have someone like Derek Carr on the other side of this game available. Um, I know Kirk Cousins, we have had of Herbert now, Um, Jared Goff, we'll talk about. I mean, there are definitely guys who might be available that you can start over Justin Herbert this week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and Austin Eckler is also dealing with an injury. He's going to play, but I mean, he's probably not at 100%. And even Justin Herbert's a rookie who is at the end of what's probably been a difficult season where he hasn't won a lot of games. He's thrown a lot of passes. It's his first professional season. So, I mean, there's just a lot about this that makes him an an iffy option for this game. QB 18 in points per game over the past five weeks, too. And even that number was boosted by a Week 11 matchup with the Jets. Overall among quarterbacks, and I looked this up when I was worrying about Justin Herbert before we moved him down the rankings, PFF passing grades over the past five weeks, Derek Carr is third, Kirk Cousins is eighth, Philip Rivers is ninth, Jared Goff is 11th, Justin Herbert is 22nd, and again, that stretch includes games against the Jets, Bills, and Falcons for him that should have been upside outings, so that just kind of positions him along with some other streaming QBs that we'll get to. I think you have to play Keenan Allen if he's active. I don't know. I guess what is the yeah. level on Keenan Allen at this point now that we know he's expected to be limited? Yeah, I mean, we moved him down into like mid range wide receiver two territory in the ranks. I mean, it's a personal decision. I, I think it's definitely possible you have, you know, three wide receivers that are better plays, at least safer plays. I mean, hamstring, short week. Um, it, it all adds up to quite a bit of risk on Keenan Allen. I, I think I think it's a case where probably the Chargers don't even know what they're going to get out of him. It's going to be how that hamstring reacts when he gets in there tonight. So it's it, it's a total, you know, personal call how much risk you want to take on yeah and I mean early season Herbert could just fling it downfield to whatever guy was running down there but uh, recent Herbert has been throwing short passes so we can't expect him to to put up numbers with Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson Um, Hunter Henry at least remains a strong play four plus catches in six of his past seven games the way things are going he might get like 15 targets tonight Right. And, you know, Austin Eckler, I'm not really concerned about him. I know he's on the injury report, um, but everything on him has been, has been like he's going to play. You know, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, game time calls, but Eckler is going to play. So I think Eckler and Hunter Henry 
are just going to dominate targets tonight. So Henry moved up our rankings too. Um, you know, not an ideal matchup. Uh, the Raiders have actually been pretty tough against tight ends, but I think Henry is a pretty safe bet for eight plus targets tonight. We got a good wide receiver question in the chat from Twitter. Would you play Keenan Allen tonight or wait to see if Julio Jones is going to be available? I don't expect Julio to play. Um, so I would just play Keenan tonight. I mean, even if Julio plays, I think he's going to carry just as much risk as Keenan does tonight. So if they're equal in risk, I, I still prefer Keenan. And that's what I hate about these Thursday games is you have yeah. to decide now and you really have no idea heading into the weekend. But I would have to agree with that at this point. On the Raiders side, it's also a strong matchup. I mean, we mentioned that the, the Raiders defense is a strong matchup for the Chargers. Chargers defense is also a strong matchup for the Raiders. Derek Carr has been outplaying Justin Herbert, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. just from a performance standpoint. And I think that there's a little bit more upside for him in this game because Josh Jacobs is still hobbled at least a bit by that ankle sprain. It's limiting his practice. He's he's not in danger of missing the game. He doesn't carry an injury designation for the game. But I, I doubt that we have the regular level of Josh Jacobs from earlier in the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's you know some limitation on his touches, maybe a little bit more of a passing lean than we saw in you know those games like four weeks ago. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the first Chargers meeting was one of those low volume games for Derek Carr. Only threw it 23 times in that game. Still came right, came away with two touchdowns, just 165 yards though. Um, and I don't know. All these injuries to the Chargers make it more likely. I think that the Raiders are playing with a lead here and are able to just run the ball. So I think Carr is okay, um, but I, I don't think you're going to get a ceiling game from him this week. Yeah, I'd go with that. He's just outside of QB1 range. And I think we'll get to another quarterback that I would play ahead of him that maybe uh, you're not playing ahead of him this week. Josh Jacobs is in starter territory. He's coming off his two of his three worst single game PFF grades for the season, but the volume should be fine. And again, the matchup is good for him. Yeah, I like Jacobs quite a bit. And I think you're starting him in season long. He's someone that I'd be playing if I was playing like showdown tonight. We've talked about his splits and wins and losses. Uh, 23 and a half carries per game for 94 yards and over a touchdown per game in Raiders wins. You know, when when they're playing with a lead, that's when Jacobs gets rolling. The Chargers 31st now in football outsiders run D, DVOA allowing 4.8 yards per carry to running backs on the season. So it's a good matchup for Jacobs. Again, I, I think it could end up being a run-heavy game from the Raiders. Um, beyond that, I think Nelson Aguilar is the only other guy you're considering. You know, he, he had been efficient early in the season. He's getting volume now, though. 8.8 targets per game over his last four. Um, kind of a middling matchup against the Chargers. So I think Aguilar is in play as a wide receiver three. Yeah, I think he's pretty solidly inside wide receiver three range. I would play him fairly easily this week, you know, talking about guys down at that range. Uh, And and then I I think that's pretty much it for the Raiders side. You know, maybe Hunter Renfro sneaks in, but he'd be somebody that I use because I have to, because I need an extra receiver in PPR, not somebody that I'm reaching for. Right. Yeah. We should mention no Henry Ruggs tonight on the COVID list. You know, he hasn't really been a fantasy factor, but that, that, that does free up some targets for Aguilar, Renfro, Darren Waller. Yeah, no Henry Ruggs would be just like most of this NFL season. <laughs> right. Buffalo Bills at Denver Broncos, and that's Saturday at 4.30. So make sure you keep those in mind when you're setting your lineups this week. We got two Saturday games. Bills by six over the Broncos in this one, over under a 50. On the Buffalo side, it's all the obvious guys, and that includes Cole Beasley, who's seen 10-plus targets in three of his past four games. I think Gabriel Davis is in play. He's like an upside guy in low wide receiver four range or wide receiver five. Right. So John Brown activated from IR this week, back at practice. Sean McDermott said today that Brown's not going to play this week. So it seems like he's aiming for a week 16 return. 
Gabe Davis is, you know, basically an every snap player when Brown is out. He scored in three straight games now that Brown has missed, but he's only averaging 5.3 targets per game when Brown has been out. So he he's, remains in like boom bust wide receiver four territory. The floor is still low just because, you know, Steph Diggs and Cole Beasley are the clear top two targets in this passing game. And Jared's so comfy with the Bills now, he's just calling him Steph. Gabe Davis, I think, is basically Marquez Valdez-Scantling here. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, in the backfield for Buffalo, I think it remains a break glass in case of emergency situation. Right. Um, Zach Moss was back as the leader of the committee last week after you know getting benched for the fumble the previous week. Um, Denver is a good matchup. I mean, the Bills are just such a pass-heavy offense that you know there's just not a whole lot of value to be had in the backfield in general. And then when you factor in that they're splitting, um, you know, both guys are like RB three flex plays. Mm. On the Denver side, Melvin Gordon had a solid solid game in a shootout at Carolina, but just 13 carries, three targets to 11 carries and two targets for Philip Lindsay. So this matchup is fine for both of them, but they both cut into each other's upside. And then I think this week brings a, a bigger threat that Buffalo pulls away in the game and pushes the Broncos away from running the ball than Carolina did last week. Yeah, you know, not a whole lot of difference between these two backfields. I mean, Denver's running it at a higher rate than Buffalo, but it's a worse offense. I think there's lower touchdown upside. You know, if I'm ranking the four, I'd probably take Gordon first, just because, you know, he is doing quite a bit of ball carrying work and he's getting a decent amount of targets, you know, three targets last week, uh, about a target and a half over the last five games. Not, not huge numbers there, but he's only an RB three when he's still splitting with Lindsay. Yeah. I mean, I would probably play Gordon, then Lindsay, then Moss, then Singletary, just because Buffalo's goal line back is Josh Allen and Denver would actually hand it to somebody. Yeah, none are strong fantasy plays in this game. Yeah, nobody that I'm reaching for here. Tim Patrick remains the top wide receiver play, at least for me here. KJ Hamler did score twice last week, but that was on only two catches among his three targets. Two straight games of two catches for him. He's had just three games over three receptions all year. Yeah, Judy's unplayable. I still think the ankle injury is hampering him. You know, Tim Patrick's usage has not been great. But he, he's hit double-digit PPR points in five straight games if you throw out that Saints game where the Broncos didn't have a quarterback. You know, Patrick is running about 80% of his routes on the outside, so he's going to see quite a bit of Trey White in this game. So a, a tougher matchup. Um, you know, he, he doesn't quite make wide receiver three status for me, but he's a fine wide receiver four. He's so, sort of just been getting it done somehow. Yeah, I think there's some upside in that we could see 45-plus pass attempts from this game if it gets to shootout status. But there's also the chance that we only see 30 and nobody really makes that much of a fantasy mark this week. Yep. Noah Fant, similar to Eric Ebron in this matchup from Sunday night where, you know, goes in as a solid option, but there is downside risk now that Buffalo has Matt Milano back in the lineup. He increased his playing time last week. He's a primary tight end coverage guy for the Bills, so... Uh, Noah Fant is an option low in tight end one range, but I mean, don't be surprised if he has a three catch for, you know, 27 yard game. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what he's been doing all season anyways. Uh, Fant of course left last week's game with an illness, didn't practice on Wednesday. So keep an eye on that. I mean, I expect him to play, but um, if you think he's going to be any less than hundred percent, that's kind of another reason to try to look elsewhere. Carolina Panthers at the Green Bay Packers. That's a Saturday night game at eight fifteen Eastern Packers by eight and a half over under 51. There is some shootout potential to this game, but I don't know. It strikes me as more likely to be a shootout to the level of Green Bay, Chicago, <laughs> where Green Bay just jumps out to this enormous lead and they're like, whatever, you guys can have a few points if you want to. Yeah, by the way, the, the weather for both of these games looks fine, which is you know kind of surprising considering it's Denver and Green Bay in, in mid-December. So that shouldn't be an issue. Um, I, I think on the Panther side, I mean, 
DJ Moore is expected back. He's off the COVID list. So, you know, I think he's back in fantasy starter territory. He had 27 targets over his last three games before missing on the COVID list. Curtis Samuel keeps producing, um, you know, with or without DJ Moore. He's been a top 32 half PPR wide receiver in six of his last seven games now, averaging seven targets and two carries per game over that span. So I think he's a fine wide receiver three. And then Robbie Anderson, as he's been all season, is a pretty rock solid fantasy starter. And those three guys are basically what make Teddy Bridgewater a consideration at all. I mean, I think it's still a little too crowded at quarterback this week for him to actually be attractive. And I mean, more importantly, he's just no better than average as a player. 28th among 40 qualifiers and PFF passing grade on the year, zero games so far with more than two touchdown passes for Teddy Bridgewater. I think the fantasy numbers are inflated a bit by three rushing touchdowns over the past four games for him. He's basically Mitchell Trubisky with lipstick. Yeah, I was going to say that um, rushing production has been, I think, better than a lot of people realize. Um, 22 rushing yards per game over his last five. And getting DJ Moore back helps. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, it's too crowded at quarterback to get Teddy into the top 12. Yeah, certainly upside to finish QB 11, QB 10. Not somebody that I'm as excited about uh, as yeah. some other people might be this week. Mike Davis also okay because of the matchup. The efficiency has continued to lag for him, but we saw a few weeks ago when David Montgomery had a big game, even on 11 carries, even in a blowout loss, there's a chance that Mike Davis does something like that. And he's been a much better PPR bet because his target uh, upside has remained. Maybe that comes down a little bit with DJ Moore back healthy this week. Yeah, and Davis's usage last week was better than it was in the previous few games that he filled in for Christian McCaffrey. He had 11 of the 16 Panthers running back carries, six of the eight running back targets. And the Packers, I mean, the Packers are a good matchup for running backs, both on the ground and in the passing game. Football Outsiders has them 28th in running back coverage. They've allowed the most receiving yards to running backs this season, the ninth most catches to running backs. I think Davis, um, even if game flow works against him here, should have a nice game in the passing game. Yeah, the Packers stink at linebacker, and they even dropped the playing time for Christian Kirksey last week, so it's like they're still trying to figure out what to do with that group. On the Packers' side, if it's close, play your Packer this week. Robert Tunyon's volume has stayed nice recently. Five targets in four straight games. He has scored touchdowns in all of those. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has kind of reappeared, but here's what his last five games have looked like. Three games with six targets and at least 55 receiving yards. The other two games, he totaled zero catches. So you have to know that if you're deciding whether to play MVS this week, he is capable of anything from 120 and a touchdown to absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think MVS and Alan Lazard are both like wide receiver fours. They're they're quite different though. I mean, MVS has the higher ceiling, lower floor. Lazard's a bit safer. You know, Lazard's targets over the last four have gone four, six, four, three. Um, so you're not not great, but a bit steadier than MBS, who has games of zero and two targets over the last four. And over the last two weeks, um, Valdez Scaling and Lazard have been pretty even in routes run. So, you know, it's not MBS is the clear number two anymore. They're kind of sharing number two, number three duties. Yeah, I would play MVS if I was choosing between them. Obviously, we're at the mercy of whoever happens to score a touchdown, but yeah. Alan Lazard's targets have not ramped up. As you just mentioned, they've just kind of plateaued at a low level. I yeah. think it's it's coincided with Robert Tunyon getting the ball more. I don't know if those things are, you know, correlated or if it's just coincidence, but I, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of upside to Lazard at this point. There are other guys that I'd rather take a shot on in his range of the rankings. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the upside is you're playing with Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, Devontae Adams is just dominating such a massive piece of this passing pie. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Atlanta Falcons. Buccaneers by six. That's up two from where it opened. Over under a 50 and a half. 
Tom Brady's only issue last week was a lack of passing volume. Still threw for 196 yards, two touchdowns on just 23 attempts against Minnesota. He's only had one other game this season where he was below 25. I'm, I'm sorry, below 35 attempts. Mistyped it. That was a blowout home win over Green Bay. Also threw two touchdown passes in that one. So there's certainly a chance that we get something like that this week. But as I mentioned, only the two games where he's been below 35 attempts. And now we don't have Ronald Jones. I was going to say, I think the lack of Ronald Jones probably gives Brady a volume boost. I mean, he's still not playing well. Like Even last week, he missed a couple easy throws, but he has multiple passing touchdowns in four straight games. He's been over, he's been at 8.4 or better in yards per attempt in three of those four games. So, you know, he's still getting it done from a fantasy perspective. Um, I like that he's in a dome here. Um, you know, late in the season for an older quarterback. And, you know, Atlanta's still 32nd in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. They've been a bit better lately. You know, they limited Justin Herbert last week. They, you know, limited Derek Carr the week before. Um, but I still think this is a good matchup for Brady and his receivers. Now, it's fair to wonder whether the Falcons or Anthony Lynn are limiting Derek Carr, or limiting Justin Herbert more. As we mentioned, Ronald Jones had surgery on a broken pinky, but then landed on the COVID list. So we started the week not knowing whether he would play, and then COVID said, oh, no, he's not playing. That boosts Leonard Fournette into potential fantasy relevance, but he was also a healthy scratch last week. So we can't necessarily just say, okay, it's Leonard Fournette's job this week. Yeah, I mean, kind of rare to see a guy go from healthy scratch to lead back. I do think that's what's going to happen just because LaShawn McCoy has very little left. Um, the Bucks haven't seemed willing to give Keyshawn Vaughn any type of significant role this season. So I definitely think it's going to be Fournette leading the way in touches. Again, I think it's going to be a pass-heavy game plan from Tampa, which is you know where they've been leaning anyways this season. And th- this matchup is tough for running backs. Atlanta's fourth in football outsiders run defense DVOA. They're second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So, you know, to me, Fournette is still just like an RB3 who probably needs to score a touchdown to really help you this week. I agree. And we'll see. I mean, you know, it's always possible that he gets 18 to 20 carries in this game and catches a few passes, but we're all kind of at the mercy of Bruce Arians on that front. <laughs> Top three Bucks wide receivers are all in play. Target shares have been pretty solid for all those guys since Antonio Brown arrived, right? Yeah, 21% for Mike Evans leading the way. And then A.B. and Godwin are tied at 18%. So I think Evans is the top play and Brown and Godwin are, you know, close, pretty similar, um, you know, like borderline wide receiver twos. Atlanta, though, 30th in adjusted points allowed to wide receiver. So it's a nice matchup for all three of them. Rob Gronkowski had a volume problem against Minnesota as well, but one of his two targets found him in the end zone in that game. So that saved his fantasy line. And really, he's been getting as much action as anybody in the league in the end zone. So I think that keeps him a top 12 option in what is a terrific scoring matchup for tight ends in general, certainly more risk for PPR, but uh, I'm starting Rob Gronkowski probably over uh, guys like Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst. Yeah. I'm easily starting Gronk over those guys. Um, Yeah. I mean, just a 13% target share for him since Antonio Brown arrived, but like you said, he's been scoring touchdowns. He's been making some plays downfield and Atlanta 31st in adjusted points to tight end. So a great matchup on the Falcon side. I mean, is there anything to go for beyond Calvin Ridley? Not really. I mean, Russell Gage hasn't been as good without Julio as I sort of thought. Um, he does have two top 36 fantasy finishes among the last three games that Julio Jones has missed. So, you know, he might give you like, you know, wide receiver for, for uh, production, but that's about it. Um, yeah, Matt Ryan has basically been unusable without Julio Jones. Hayden Hurst, I don't know what's happened to him. Um, yeah, I thought it was just the Saints matchup in you know, two of the past three games, but then he did nothing against the Chargers last week. So he's a guy I would try not to use, even though th- this matchup is actually decent. 
Yeah, I mean, so there is some boom potential to him because it's a good matchup because Julio Jones looks like he's trending toward not playing again. So, I mean, even an inefficient Hayden Hurst could score 8 to 11 PPR points on 10 targets, which is a number that he could reach in this game. So, I mean, you kind of have to weigh Hayden Hurst against your other options there. I just mentioned the group of four, you know, Gronk, Goddard. I would probably take a shot on Hayden Hurst against or over Noah Fant if that's a decision. But I think most people probably have one guy or the other between them. And I can't say that I'd, I'd arm wrestle anybody over it. Yeah, those guys are similar to me. I, I'd play Goddard over them. Again, I'd play Gronk over those types for ease. I mean, we'll talk about Irv Smith. I think I'd play him over Hayden Hurst if he's available in your league. You got anything else from that game? Uh, nope, that's it. Uh, total avoid on the backfield, obviously. Definitely. Chicago Bears at Minnesota Vikings, which Jared already teased the tight end situation from. Vikings by three and a half, over under 47. We'll start with the Bears, where Mitchell Trubisky has a top 12 scoring average in his five full outings this year. Passer ratings over 104 in three of them, but two of those have come against the Lions. The other came against Houston. He was a garbage time hero on inefficient passing against Green Bay in week 12 and not particularly good in week two against the Giants, despite two touchdowns in that game. Also took four sacks under 200 yards, two picks in that game. Got yanked, of course, the next week against an Atlanta defense that other offenses have feasted on. Not much rushing all year. So, I mean, I looked at Mitchell Trubisky's numbers early in the week and thought, I don't know, maybe I'm underrating him. Maybe he's a better play this week than I thought. There is upside, but when you look at Mitchell Trubisky versus the other quarterbacks in the range where he sits in our rankings, I just trust pretty much everybody else more than I trust Trubisky. Right. It's still Mitchell Trubisky you were talking about here. And, you know, it's week 15, you're in your fantasy playoffs. I would not want to be banking on him as a quarterback one. I think, you know, as a second quarterback in super flex leagues, he's okay. I still think Minnesota's Passing defense is more beatable than the numbers suggest. But, you know, Football Outsiders does have them 12th in pass defense. They're 10th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. And like you said, Matt, most of Trubisky's nice games this season have come against bottom five quarterback defenses. Yeah. And so the matchup can get better on the Minnesota side if Eric Kendricks, the middle linebacker, is out again. I know he missed practice Wednesday. I haven't seen the Thursday update yet. So, you know, it does become a better spot if he's out. But again, it's Mitchell Trubisky, and we have more history than just, you know, those five games that I mentioned from this year. And it, the, the history hasn't been kind with him. So I would rather not play Trubisky, but he is an upside option if you're looking down the rankings. Uh, David Montgomery has become a fairly easy start. It's a tougher matchup this week than the past three were for rushing, but it's not a scary matchup. And his receiving production has been good, even if the rushing doesn't go his way. Right. I mean, he, he had faced uh, bottom five running back defenses in each of the last three weeks. So, you know, you, you got ceiling games out of Montgomery. I, I'd expect more of a floor game in this matchup, but, you know, he's still one of the better volume bets at running back in the entire league. So, you know, he, he's a pretty easy season long starter. Allen Robinson's obvious. I would rather not use Anthony Miller or Darnell Mooney if I have a, a choice. Cole Komet, though, 70 plus percent snap share in four straight games, season high 85 percent against Houston last week. Second on the team in that game with seven targets, despite that Jimmy Graham touchdown, which might make you think something changed in their roles. Seven targets in two straight games now for Komet. The matchup for him in particular gets tougher if Eric Kendricks is playing. If Kendricks is out, it's a favorable matchup. I mean, Komet might even climb a little bit from where he sits in our rankings right now in that case. Yeah, I mean, I could pick nits and say that he's only run pass routes on 53 and 62 percent of the dropbacks over the last two weeks but like you said seven targets in both of those games like if you're a tight end getting that type of volume you know you, you just be, can't be too picky so I think Komet um yeah I I would consider Komet over 
Hayden Hurst, potentially Noah Fan if you know this illness remains an issue. Yeah, I would play Hayden Hurst over Cole Komet just because if I say out loud Matt Ryan and Hayden Hurst and Cole Komet and Mitchell Trubisky, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's the out loud test. I just uh, <laughs> coined that. On the Vikings side, Kirk Cousins, eighth in PFF passing grade for the season. It's not just good lately, but really good all year. Uh, two plus touchdown passes in nine of his 13 games. And the volume has picked up in the past five weeks. In the last meeting with Chicago, he threw for 292 and two touchdowns in week 10. Got Justin Jefferson over 100 yards. Got two touchdowns to Adam Thielen. So I think it's a it's a decent spot for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, he finished quarterback 10 in fantasy points that week. I could see a similar finish this week. Bears had allowed multiple passing scores in six straight games prior to facing you know Deshaun Watson without Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller last week. So I think it's a doable matchup. It's another you know game indoors, which is always nice. Um, I, I just this game just screams like 24 to 17 to me. It's not going to be a shootout. I don't think you're going to get a ceiling game. Out of Cousins, I also don't think he's going to kill your fantasy team this week. Uh, Deshaun Watson also should have had a second touchdown, but it <laughs> went off of Jordan Akins' left elbow. Um, according to Nick Whalen, by the way, at underscore Nick Whalen on Twitter, Dalvin Cook had 39 rushing yards on 19 carries in that Week 10 game against the Bears before Akeem Hicks left the field, the defensive lineman for Chicago. After that, 57 yards on his final 11 carries. In his career before the season against the Bears, 86 yards and 34 carries and three other meetings for Dalvin Cook. So the Bears do have a shot at stifling Dalvin Cook in this game. They've played him a lot. I'm not saying that as a warning against Dalvin Cook. He's, you know, an automatic start. But I think that's just another little point of potential upside for Kirk Cousins. Maybe they don't get Dalvin Cook going quite as at his usual efficiency level and yeah. throw the ball a bit more. The Bears' pass defense as you alluded to, has also been trending down lately. Awful performances against Green Bay and Detroit before a bit of a rebound against Houston last week, albeit a kind of a broken Houston pass offense. The fourth worst pass deep performance, according to DVOA, for the Bears all season came in that first meeting with Minnesota. Yeah, you know, I'd be more willing to consider Minnesota coming out throwing the ball in this game if I didn't just see them go, you know, super run heavy against the Bucks defense. Now they actually were having success against Tampa, so they were able to, to sort of stick with it. But I, I, you know, I still expect it to be a Dalvin Cook-centered game plan here. These are all, by the way, just like subliminal shots at Jared to move Kirk Cousins higher in the Week 15 rankings. I, I know, I know. All right, tell me why I need to start Irv Smith this week. Uh, because he's healthy. He's not even listed on this week's injury report. He he was limited last week. Um, only ran around on 35% of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks. You know, Smith was coming off. It was the back injury for him, right? Uh, but he's off the injury report this week. Kyle Rudolph is mispracticed on Wednesday and Thursday. So if Rudolph's out, um, I think Smith this week should be, you know, close to an every snap player. And the, the Bears, 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Um, you mentioned the Jordan Aikens wide open drop in the end zone last week. That If he had caught that, that would have been the seventh tight end touchdown allowed by the Bears in their last seven games. So it's a nice matchup for Irv Smith. He's a good player. Um, I, I think everything sets up for him you know, to be a tight end one this week. Yeah, it's a nice spot for him. I can't argue with any of that. San Francisco 49ers at Dallas Cowboys in a game you should not watch. 49ers by three. It's up two from where it opened. Over under 45. The big story here, do we have a chance at seeing George Kittle on the field this week? One of the Niners beat writers said not this week, that next week would be the earliest we would see him. But he's definitely worth stashing. Like he, even, you know, next week, if it was his first game back, you know, they played the Cardinals, he'd, you know, we'd have him ranked as, as a top five tight end next week. Yeah, because you know that the Niners are not going to play him unless he's actually ready to play. I was hoping that he would actually make it back for this week because I have been stashing him for the past couple of weeks in the money league. But 
Unfortunately, I don't think we will. So, I mean, that means another week for Jordan Reed. It's a solid matchup for him. He hasn't been a high ceiling guy, but, you know, could give us a, a few receptions at least. Six, six, four, and five targets over his last four games. And, you know, no Debo Samuel now. And, you know, with George Kittle also out, um, you know, maybe Reed gets a few extra targets. Like you said, matchup is really good. Football Outsiders has Dallas 31st in tight end coverage. And Brandon Ayuk's a must at this point. He's been stellar lately and now has Debo Samuel out of the way to even send more targets his direction. Jeff Wilson, is he about to impact week 15 more than he really should? Yeah, I mean, Raheem Mostert dealing with the ankle injury. If Mostert's out, I think Wilson is an easy top 20 play. Maybe he even sneaks into our top 15. Um, even if Mostert plays, you know, it's been, uh, you know, close to a 50-50 committee uh, between these two guys over the last three weeks, 39 carries for Mostert to 30 for Wilson. Wilson is out-targeted Mostert eight to seven over that span. And, you know, Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon have basically not even gotten on the field. So at least it's just a two-man committee. So even if Mostert's back, I think Wilson is someone you can consider in a great matchup against the Cowboys. Yeah, I agree. On the Dallas side, Ezekiel Elliott stunk against Cincinnati. 12 carries, 48 yards, two catches for 11 in a game. His team won by 23 points. I mean, he makes sense somewhere in RB2 range, but not attractive at this point. Yeah, so like you said, 12 carries, three targets for Zeke. 11 carries, two targets for Tony Pollard. Maybe the score had something to do with that, but Zeke's dealing with that calf injury. He's remained limited in practice this week. Pollard's playing well, you know, some would argue better than Zeke Elliott. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, close to a 50-50 split again this week in a, in a much tougher matchup against the Niners. So, yeah, I mean, Zeke is like borderline wide, or RB2, I guess. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, the wide receivers, I think, are subdued options as well against the San Francisco defense that has toughened up against the pass as it's gotten healthier in the secondary. Amari Cooper has stayed productive. I, I'm probably starting him. I and mean, There's a chance I have three better options, but I'm probably starting Amari Cooper in most cases. Like I said, though, the matchup has worsened, so I'm not reaching for any Dallas wide out in this game. No, yeah, I think Cooper, you know, if you've been rolling with him, you can stick with him. Like you said, he, you know, he's been – we haven't gotten ceiling weeks, but he, he's been a floor play since Dak went down. C.D. Lamb had had four-plus catches in five straight games prior to last week. You know, he has the, the easily the best matchup in the slot. He'll avoid Richard Sherman. He'll avoid Jason Bratt. So I think Lamb is a wide receiver three option, and then, you know, Gallup is, is third among these guys as, like, a wide receiver four. Yeah, C.D. Lamb would be behind guys like Willie Sneed for me this week, though. We'll get to that. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see if Marquise Brown is going to play because that's still up in the air. All right. With Dallas, I think the matchup improves for Dalton Schultz if uh, 49ers linebacker Fred Warner's out for this game. We'll see about him dealing with a neck-slash-shoulder injury, something in that range. Um, if Fred Warner is playing, Dalton Schultz is going to be a tougher guy to like. Yeah, I mean, I don't like him any uh, you know much to begin with, regardless of Warner's status. I mean, I, like all these guys we've talked about, I would start Jordan Reed over him in this game, uh, Hayden Hurst over him. I would, if Fred Warner's out, I would start Dalton Schultz over Jordan Reed, but I mean, that, that's about the nicest thing I have to say. Yeah, you you love your four catches for 32 yards. <laughs> As opposed to what Jordan Reed's going to put up, <laughs> which is three for 22. Yeah. Seattle Seahawks at the Washington football team. Seahawks by five and a half. That's up one and a half from where it opened. Over under a 44 and a half. Tyler Lockett is still in low wide receiver two range for me. The target volume has remained solid, but the big change for him, the red zone targets have completely disappeared from being there pretty prominently in the first half of the season to nothing over the past five or six games. And he, he's just been hurting your fantasy team if you've been starting him. He has one top 30 PPR finish among his last seven games now, but it's like 
we've seen him have these two week winning performances. So you, you like can't bench him, but yeah, it's, he's a, he's a tough guy to pack. But again, I, I need to have like three high floor guys to play over Lockett if I'm going to bench him. Cause again, you know, we, we've seen him have two week winning games. Chris Carson, I think, is a fairly easy play at this point. The The workload doesn't look great if you just look overall at the past three games, yep. uh, which is the time since he's returned from a foot injury. But he had limited touches in his return game against Philly in a game that, that Seattle really controlled most of the way. Then he dominated backfield touches in the loss to the Giants. Then limited touches last week in a lopsided win over the Jets. So I would expect a competitive game here. At the very least, I think we'll get a competitive first half of the game. And even if Seattle jumps out to that early lead and makes the second half a lopsided affair, I would imagine that Chris Carson is heavily involved in that. So I wouldn't worry too much about lower than we'd like touch counts the past three weeks overall. And I'd play Chris Carson. Yeah, I don't expect Seattle to you know run away with this game. I think it'll be you know fairly close throughout. Last week, Carson played 71% of the snaps in the first half and outtouched Carlos Hyde 11 to 4 in the first half. You know, then they sort of went with Hyde in, in the blowout win against the Jets. So, yeah, I think Carson is a safe bet for 15 plus touches this week and get over 20. Um, he's averaging nearly five targets per game in his he- seven healthy games this season. So, he's also been heavily involved in the passing game this year. And we're skipping over the obvious guys. Any more non obvious guys on the Seattle side? Tight end matchup is good, but Hollisler and Disley are still splitting everything. So, you, you know, neither guy can be trusted. They're just sort of like touchdown or bust fantasy plays. Yeah, I'm not interested unless you're, you know, like desperate and you're searching the waiver wire for something that has a chance. Right. On the Washington side, I'll go back to Terry McLaurin here. Uh, sluggish production the past two weeks, but they came against Pittsburgh and San Francisco, two yeah. of the tougher defenses on his schedule. His only other single-digit PPR performance of the season came back in week five against the Rams, who were third in overall defensive DVOA. So, I mean, if you're a number one receiver on a bad team, you're going to have some down games. I'm willing to chalk this up to that. He's been terrific otherwise, despite a QB carousel with no pretty horses on it. So Terry McLaurin, pretty easy starter. Yep, I'm with you. I'm sticking with him. You know, Seattle's past defense numbers look better lately, but their last four games have been against a banged up Kyler Murray. He, you know, hurt his shoulder in that game. Then Carson Wentz, then Colt McCoy, and then Sam Darnold. Um, If you look at their DVOA numbers on Football Outsiders, they're, they're only strong past defense performance was in that week 13 game against the Giants. So I, I still think it's a positive matchup. Definitely a much easier matchup than McLaurin has faced the last two weeks. We'll see whether Alex Smith is back for this game. It seems like Washington is optimistic that his calf will be ready, but we don't know for sure that he's playing yet, right? We don't. And honestly, Dwayne Haskins might be better for McLaurin than Alex Smith. I mean, he's less accurate, but he's more aggressive. And, you know, he obviously has more chemistry with McLaurin. I think Dwayne Haskins would be worse for J.D. McKissick, though. Uh, McKissick, a a low-end RB2, if we get Alex Smith, I would have a hard time playing McKissick over anybody else that's mildly attractive if we have Dwayne Haskins in the lineup. Yeah, just four targets for McKissick last week, and I think, you know, the fact that we got Haskins for half that game played a big part in that. It is a nice matchup for McKissick in the passing game. The Seahawks are 30th in running back coverage, according to Football Outsiders. They've allowed the fourth most running back catches and the seventh most running back receiving yards. So if Smith is in there, um, I think McKissick remains a pretty nice PPR play. Logan Thomas, speaking of pretty nice PPR plays, a, a fine matchup for him, and he's stepped it up lately over the past two weeks. 16 targets, 15 catches against the Steelers and the 49ers, who should be two of the more yeah. difficult tight end matchups on his schedule. Yeah, definitely. I um, mean, you know, it, it was back to a floor performance last week, which is kind of what Thomas has been all season. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take that at tight end if we can count on a guy for, you know, four plus catches. 
Yeah, a six for 43 is not a floor play at tight end this season. That's like a top three. <laughs> True. New England Patriots at Miami Dolphins. This one should not take long. Dolphins by one. It's down two from where it opened. Over under a 41 and a half. That might be too high. Honestly, I don't really want to start anything from either side of this game. No, not with the Dolphins injuries. Um, you know, on the Patriots side, Damian Harris is not on the injury report this week. It, he, he got banged up at the end of that Rams game, but obviously he's fine. So, you know, he, he's still okay as a guy who, you know, should get 12 to 15 carries. Um, that's it for the Patriots. On the Dolphins side, uh, Devontae Parker and Jakeem Grant dealing with hamstring injuries. They were both limited on Wednesday, so it seems like they both have a chance. Mike Isicki sounds like he's going to miss this game. He did not practice on Wednesday. All right. I'll take any game that doesn't have Mike Gisaki in it. So DeAndre Washington, Lynn Bowden, I think we have questions to answer before seeing whether they are relevant for the weekend. If Jakeem Grant is out, it helps Lynn Bowden. I mean, there are lots of people asking about both of these players. Neither of them is a guy that I would be excited to play, but either one could see enough action to be, I don't know, relevant, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for Bowden, I'd really like Parker and Grant to be out because, you know, that, that's when he really got going in last week's game and both of those guys exited. Um, so we'll have to see about that, obviously. DeAndre Washington. So Matt Breda was activated from the COVID list, so he'll be back this week. You know, Miami hasn't wanted to get him the ball this season. So if, if it's just Breda, Laird, and Washington, I'd feel okay with Washington. Salvin Ahmed's the guy we have to watch because, you know, if he's back, then I, I think we'd be less sure how touches are going to be distributed in the backfield. Yeah, really just a backfield to try to avoid if yeah. you can. It is a good matchup. I mean, the, the Pats Rundy has struggled all season really lately. Yeah. <laughs> I, <there's, laughs> I can't get up about anything in this game at all. That's, yeah, that, that's fair. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens by 13 for this one, over under 48. James Robinson's obvious, so we'll skip past him, even in the matchup against Baltimore. I mean, he should get the ball plenty of times, and he's you know just been too good for us in a year where so many other running backs have not been. Gardner Minshew is back behind center for Jacksonville, though. I'm certainly not using him in a usual league, but he could be good news for DJ Chark. And, you know, maybe this isn't as bad a matchup as you might think, just saying Baltimore defense. I mean, we just saw Baker Mayfield light them up. Um, they are still ninth on the season in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. You know, it, it's a quality second. I don't know. I've, I've been chasing DJ Chark for the past like month now. I think, you know, this matchup is going to get me off of him, you know, at least in DFS. I mean, this is probably the week he goes off. Yeah. So, I mean, and when I say maybe he's good for DJ Chark, I'm not saying that DJ Chark is, is wide receiver 20 in my rankings, but yeah. if you're looking in like the range of wide receiver 35 to wide receiver 45, I think in that range, DJ Chark pops as an upside play. He could absolutely finish this game with nine targets and two catches for 20 yards, but he could also finish this game with 15 targets and seven catches for 120. I mean, we have seen some vulnerability and Baltimore has not rushed the passer all that well lately either. So it could make life a little bit easier for Minshew. I just think there's a little bit more juice to Gardner Minshew than there is to either Jake Luton or Mike Glennon there. Oh, yeah, I definitely think Minshew is an upgrade for the offense in general. Um, but I, don't know, I, I still don't expect a ton of scoring from the Jags in this game. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on a ton of scoring. It's it's the kind of thing where I would bet that they're below 20, but I wouldn't be shocked if they end up scoring 24, 27. Somebody in the chat asked earlier about Matt Ryan versus Gardner Minshew for a QB2 spot. I think that's a spot where I might go ahead and take a shot on Gardner Minshew because I think there's at least some upside there unless Julio Jones is ready for the game. I don't think I could start Minshew over Matt Ryan with Julio Jones, but if Julio's out, I think I'd take a shot on Minshew. Yep, it would be Minshew for me if Julio's out. Here are, uh, going back to Matt Ryan, here are his 
weekly finishes in games without Julio or games that Julio missed most of. Quarterback 28, 25th, 24th, 25th, 18th, and 28th. So he's just been horrible in fantasy without Julio this season. Yeah, absolute non-factor. I mean, by the way, for the, back to the Jaguars receivers, I think Keelan Cole would be my next consideration if we're talking about the kind of deep league where you're deciding yeah. between Gardner Minshew and Matt Ryan. He'd be well into a wide receiver four range, but the playing time has been good for him. It has been. Um, and Cole averaged about six targets per game in Minshew's seven full games early, earlier this season. Uh, LaVisco Chenault, you know, got back into a significant role last week, but, um, you know, he, he would still be my third Jags receiver in. On the Baltimore side, is Willie Sneed going to be the wide receiver version of Jeff Wilson Jr. this week? Yeah, so Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin, and James Prochet on the COVID list, but they're, they're on there as close contacts. They didn't actually test positive, so they're not going to be able to practice all week, but if they avoid a negative test, they will be back. If Marquise Brown is back, Sneed's back to like a wide receiver four. I don't know. I mean, Will, Willie Sneed could definitely still be their top receiver in this game, even yeah. if Marquise Brown's playing it. I, I would love to not have Marquise Brown there so we can at least forget about Marquise Brown at this time of year, which we haven't been able to do all season. I mean, certainly if Marquise Brown is out, I like Willie Sneed's upside. Yeah. Jack, The Jaguars are a good matchup for everything, and they've been particularly generous to wide receivers lately. If Brown is back, it's you know it becomes riskier, especially because we don't we could get 18 pass attempts from Baltimore in this game. It's still yeah. kind of a boom bust. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of expecting like 18 pass attempts regardless of Marquise Brown's status, but they should be efficient pass attempts, or I guess more efficient than usual for, for the Ravens this season. Brown has scored in three straight games now. He has eight, eight, and six targets in those three games, so he's been better lately. He's a guy I, I'd be willing to take a shot on as like a wide receiver four if he ends up playing this week. I agree. I had him kind of elevated in the rankings before the COVID list thing. So we'll certainly be watching him. Somebody, some Baltimore wide receiver in this game, I think is going to do something helpful. I just overpaid for Willie Sneed on waivers. So uh, that probably guarantees that Marquise Brown is going to be good to go for this game. Uh, it is a great spot for Lamar Jackson, great spot for Mark Andrews, great spot for J.K. Dobbins. And Gus Edwards is also in play. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up outscoring guys like Zeke Elliott and David Johnson this week. Yeah, I think Gus is a sneaky play as like a running back three or flex. Um, you know, Mark Ingram has pretty much been phased out of the offense. He played one snap last week. Justice Hill has actually been playing ahead of him. But, it, you know, we're basically to a two-man committee now with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, which is sort of what we had been hoping for all season. So I think Dobbins is an upside RB2, and I think Gus is a, you know, running back three flex play. I, I think Gus gets 10-plus carries in this game. And this is a much better place to be Zach Moss and Devin Singletary than Buffalo is. Exactly. Detroit Lions at the Tennessee Titans. Titans by 11, over under a 51 and a half. The first question here, are we going to get Chase Daniel or are we going to get a wincing Matthew Stafford? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely sounds like Chase Daniel. They haven't ruled Stafford out yet, but he he seems unlikely. Matthew Stafford, I would imagine, he just walks around the house in pain, (laughs) opening a pickle jar, and he's like, oh, God. (laughs) is a good matchup for Marvin Jones good matchup for TJ Hawkinson obviously Chase Daniel kind of brings everything down in terms of the passing upside Uh, Jones and Hawkinson are probably both pretty easily inside starter range overall yeah Hawkinson especially just because tight end is so weak and Hawkinson's been so good and he's been you know the volume's been so good and the Titans dead last in football outsiders tight end coverage I mean the the Titans are bad against every position so it's a good matchup for all these guys I think Marv Becomes like a wide receiver three if it's Chase Daniel. But again, the matchup is good enough where, you know, he still has a ceiling. 
And maybe Mr. Short Range Danny Amendola becomes a more attractive option for uh, tiny armed Chase Daniel. I think Amendola is a fine PPR option around wide receiver like 40 to 44 level. Yeah, sure. He's in that mix. And I hope the short range targets are going to TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift, though. They won't. They'll be going to Danny Amendola. He's going to catch eight balls in this game. Jeez. DeAndre Swift is inside starter territory because of how few options there are, both for the Lions and at running back. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm more optimistic than than you seem to be on Swift. Um, his usage was okay in his return last week. Um, played 54% of the snaps, uh, 54% route rate. Got seven of the 13 running back targets. I think most importantly, got five of the seven – or sorry, seven of the 13 running back carries, five of the seven running back targets. I think his usage could get a boost from there in his second game back. Uh, matchup's good against Tennessee again. Um, you know, Chase Daniel brings the ceiling down, but I, I still think Swift – is a nice RB2 play this week. There is absolutely upside to DeAndre Swift. I just don't like the offense, and I don't like their chances of staying competitive in this game. So uh, we'll see. That might mean yeah. something different with Chase Daniel. Maybe they run the ball more because they're like, we're not going to have Chase Daniel throw it as much as we would have Stafford throw it. Yeah. But there's, there's so many risk factors. I, I, I stop short of being optimistic, and I'll just go with, yeah, he's, he's fine. I mean, I think the Lions get blown out here, but I don't think that's bad for Swift because it's going to mean he's on the field and not Adrian Peterson. On the Tennessee side, start everyone as long as he's not a tight end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Johnny Smith did have an 80% route rate last week, but it didn't result in fantasy production. It hasn't for about two months now. So you, you just got to stop chasing early season Johnny Smith. Yeah, nobody has told Ryan Tannehill about Johnny Smith's route rate recently. <laughs> I guess not. Houston Texans at Indianapolis Colts. Colts by seven and a half over under 51. Deshaun Watson finished top 12 in the first meeting with the Colts, even without throwing a touchdown pass. Top 300 yards passing, ran for a touchdown. And as we mentioned earlier with the Chicago game, if the wide open end zone target that he threw at Jordan Akins had not hit off his left elbow, then Watson would have been a top 10 fantasy quarterback last week at Chicago too. Solid starter here, especially with Brandon Cooks looking like, looking like he'll get back. Yeah, I mean, Watson's just playing too well to go away from now if he's been your guy all season. The, the Colts defense, by the way, too, hasn't been as good recently. If you look at the last five weeks, they've allowed uh, 7.9 yards per pass attempts, a 66% completion rate. Um, this is another game that's indoors, which is always nice this time of year. Uh, Watson has been running more since Will Fuller was gone, so I, I think he is still a rock-solid quarterback one. Kiki Cutie, though, is oh, – so we've got Brandon Cooks back. He's my top wide receiver play for Houston. But Kiki Cutie is working on a nice little career Justin Colts games, right? Yeah. Uh, four career games against the Colts. He's gone over 100 yards in three of those four games. Eight catches, 11 catches, 11 catches. So something about this matchup he likes. I, I, you know, I, I like Kiki as a wide receiver three this week. Does he even have 100 total yards against everybody else? I know he hasn't topped 77 against any other team. <laughs> I do think that Chad Hansen is still in the picture, certainly outside the top 36, but, you know, like low wide receiver four range, good target volume the past two weeks, good production in those two games. Yeah, seven targets in both two ga- uh, the past two games. You know, last week was without Brandon Cooks, obviously, but I don't know, it's a, it's a wide receiver playing most of the snaps with Deshaun Watson. So yeah, I think wide receiver four is, is fair for him. Yeah, and they should, I wouldn't be surprised if we get elevated passing volume in this one because I don't think that we're going to get a whole lot from the Houston running game, even with David Johnson back. Nope, me either. Um, I would try to avoid that situation, but you know, uh, David Johnson is the play over Duke Johnson. And avoid Jordan Aikens like a touchdown pass. That, that freaking guy. Two catches for 10 yards in the last meeting with the Colts. Yeah, yeah, the Colts have remained tough against tight ends. 
On the Indy side, Phillip Rivers is a top 12 option this week. He threw for 285 and two touchdowns in the first meeting with Houston. Two-plus touchdown passes in four straight games now, even with varying passing volume within that range. Had a 300-yard game at Tennessee before those four games. Passer ratings over 105 in four of his past five outings. So he's playing well, and the matchup's good. Yeah, 77 percent completion rate 8.1 yards per attempt for rivers in that first meeting and then you know last week the texans give up 267 yards and three touchdowns to mitchell trubisky so it was a bad pass defense before they lost bradley roby now it's you know possibly the worst pass defense in the nfl ty hilton has become an easy yes for lineups at this point but you like michael pittman better than i do this week yeah i think he's a wide receiver three i mean he's seen uh, 19 targets and 18% target share over the last three games. You know, that's, that's T.Y. Hilton's hot streak. So Hilton clearly has emerged as a top guy and he's like a wide receiver two this week. But I think Pittman, you, you say, you know, he's going to get five to seven targets in this matchup. I think, you know, he has the upside to consider, um, you know, as a wide receiver three. There's definitely upside 6.2 targets though. 3.8 catches per game in the six weeks since Michael Pittman returned to full playing time, just a 16.6% target share over that span. One game of more than 66 yards, three games of three catches or fewer among his past four. So like I said, the upside is there, but I think he's similar as an option to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yeah, I mean, I think MVS has the higher ceiling. I think Pittman's a bit safer. Yeah, I'll give him both that. Jonathan Taylor's an easy start, which is nice to say at this point. Naheem Hines, really just an if-you-need-him upside kind of guy. Yeah, the matchup is good enough where, you know, I think Hines is still an RB3 or flex consideration, but he has 19 carries only in his last three games alongside Jonathan Taylor and even targets. Um, Hines, 11 targets in those three games to nine for Jonathan Taylor. So Hines isn't even dominating the passing game work anymore. Here's a Michael Pittman question for you, Jared. Slapnuts01 on Periscope wants to know whether he should start Michael Pittman over Keenan Allen. No. <laughs> right. I mean, not, I mean, not unless we get a further report that Keenan's going to be like super limited tonight. Yeah, I mean, and, and really any kind of consideration like that with Keenan Allen is it has to be a personal call because we have no idea yeah. how much Keenan Allen's actually going to be on the field, how many targets he's actually going to see. And, and certainly he could be on the field for, you know, 40 to 50 percent of the snaps and still see 50 percent of the targets in the time that he's on the field and still be OK for PPR leagues, even in that limited role. Right. And when you're, you know, comparing him to someone like Michael Pittman, I, I don't even think Pittman is safer than Allen. I don't think Pittman has a higher ceiling than Allen, even if he's at 50%. Right. And back to the Colts now. No thanks on the tight end situation, if I can help with. Jack Doyle back as the leading route runner among the tight ends last week. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's a mess. You can't trust any of the three. Colts defense, though, are a top 10 option. They finished ninth in ESPN scoring in the last meeting with the Texans. Yeah, good, good sack bet. Philadelphia Eagles at the Arizona Cardinals cards by six and a half in this one. It's up one from where it opened over under 48 and a half. You have to love the rushing for Jalen Hurts for fantasy use. 18 carries, 106 yards on the ground in his starting debut, but very different first half to second. Seven carries for 75 before the break, 11 for 31 yards the rest of the way. Yards per pass attempt, too, also went down in the second half. 4.2 yards per attempt in the second half of that game against the Saints. This will be the first opponent, of course, that has a full game of tape on Jalen Hurts. Also had the second half of the Green Bay game, so more to work with than New Orleans had last week. There's definitely upside, and there's been talk this week about man coverage defenses being good for running quarterbacks, and Arizona runs more man coverage than any other defense this year, according to ESPN's Mike Clay. But the Cardinals should be gearing up to play the run in this game. There's no threat 
in the Philly passing game. So I would think that we would get, you know, not just the usual Arizona game plan, but a plan like, all right, guys, we have to stop the run and then we'll see if they can hit uh, Jalen Rager downfield for one pass. Yeah, you, you, you'd think, but I mean, NFL teams are not as smart as, you know, we like to, to think they are. So I don't know. I, I still think Hertz is a strong rushing bat, especially in this matchup. Um, you know, passing wise, I still think he's a question mark. Although, I don't know. He, he looked pretty solid as a passer to me in that game last week, especially, you know, against a pretty tough Saints pass defense. So I, I think the risk is that it's a guy making a second career start and you're in week 15, you know, in your fantasy playoffs. So there's, you know, some downside, although, you know, the, the rushing floor, I think, you know, Hertz probably isn't going to kill you if you get, you know, 50 to 60 rushing yards out of him. PFF graded him the second worst passer of the week, I believe, ahead of only Alex Smith. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Adam Krautwurst here and say PFF is just wrong about that. I don't know. I mean, I watched the game and I didn't see anything overly impressive with Jalen Hurts. And the bigger issue with his passing is that they just, he just doesn't have guys to work with on that front. I mean, there's Dallas Goddard, but the, the rest of the receiving core is really trash. Yeah, that's fair. Um, again, I, I think you're playing Hurts for the rushing floor. Yeah, I would much rather play Kirk Cousins. I would probably lean Teddy Bridgewater and Ben Roethlisberger over Jalen Hurts because I think those guys are safer. I certainly think Hurts has the upside outscore either of those. It would be tough for me between Hurts and Mitchell Trubisky, but that's where I'd probably go with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, they're all in the same range. I'd I'd play Hurts over um, Trubisky and Bridgewater. Miles Sanders basically a must start this week. The big change for him last week was a rebound in playing time and opportunities. He played 81% of the snaps. It was his second largest snap share, second largest snap total of the entire season. The previous three weeks, he played 60%, 61%, 56%. The five targets he got last week were more than his previous two games combined. He still got just 14 carries, trailed Jalen Hurts by four in that category, and 73% of his yards came on that one long touchdown run against the Saints. Now, I don't say that to say ignore that run and don't play Sanders this week. The point here, if Doug Peterson is watching, which I know he usually is, is that when you put Miles Sanders on the field more, then things like that are more likely to happen. So I would assume that they continue playing him more. But I, I said it on Twitter previously if you're feeling like an idiot for not playing Miles Sanders last week, don't because the Eagles were playing him stupidly before that and turned him into a shaky option. We didn't think him into being a shaky option. Yeah. And the matchup is brutal against the Saints. So, but I mean, we did mention on last week's podcast that, you know, we, we have a, a lot of data that says running backs are more efficient when they're playing with rushing quarterbacks. You know, and the defense has another threat to run the ball to worry about that, you know, running backs benefit. So Jalen Hurts is definitely good news for Miles Sanders, as long as he continues to get similar usage to what he does last week, I think, you know, he's at least back as a weekly RB2. And the matchup this week is much easier than it was last week. Dallas Goddard mentioned before, his playing time and routes are down from nearly 100% in both cases to the 60 to 67% range in the two games since Zach Ertz returned. But the target share is still 22.8% over that span, so it doesn't really matter. He's a top 12 option at tight end across formats. It is just his second game with Jalen Hurts, so we, we don't know yet what the volatility is, but just the opportunity alone makes him a top 12 tight end. Well, I mean, he's he's gone from like a top five guy to, you know, someone in like lower end tight end one range, but I would still play him over, I think, all these guys we've been talking about, Hayden Hurst, Noah Fan, or Irv Smith would be close. I, I mean, I, I think Smurf, or Smith – belongs in that Dallas Goddard territory if Rudolph is out. Yeah, I would say that Irv Smith has a higher ceiling for this one than Dallas Goddard does. Yeah, agreed. 
the Cardinals defense is worth mentioning too. It just shut down the Giants on the road, which big whoop. I mean, the Giants aren't great, but you know, Philly also isn't great. The two best defensive performances of the year for the Cardinals have come against the Giants and Patriots within the past three weeks. Also a strong one at home though, against Buffalo two weeks before that number nine in overall defensive DVOA, according to football outsiders, ninth against the pass, 15th against the run. So it's not a pushover of a defense. Not a pushover. Again, I, I still think, though, it's an easier matchup uh, for Philly than the Saints were last week. It is, but at least they have some more idea of what's coming at them. Yep, that's very, very fair. On the card side, we got uh, better Kyler Murray last week, most notably yeah. his rushing return. Not big yardage, but 13 carries were his most since the Week 7 OT win over Seattle. That followed three straight games of five carries while he was dealing with a shoulder injury. So it seems like we have a, a healthier Kyler Murray. You know, again, just 47 yards on the ground, but... If he's rushing a lot against Philly, the Eagles have proved vulnerable to QB rushing this season. I think Murray ranks among the top plays at quarterback this week. Yeah, me too. Um, I know we we talked about it with the Taysom Hill matchup against Philly last week. Hill didn't have a big game on the ground, um, 33 yards, but it came on just five carries, so he was efficient. And, you know, the Eagles allowed over 100 yards to Lamar Jackson. They allowed two big rushing games to Daniel Jones. So, um, you know, upside, upside for Murray on the ground. And through the air here because the Eagles are still a beatable pass defense, especially with Darius Slay likely out for this game. And I was concerned about DeAndre Hopkins' spot last week. He proved me wrong there. Great spot for him this week. I there, I don't think there's a better bet outside of Devontae Adams at the position this week. Yes, uh, definitely will be a DFS play for me. No thanks on Christian Kirk in any format, though. Four games under 30 yards among his past five. Another of just 50 yards. No touchdowns over that span. Three catches for 14 yards on four targets last week. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the matchup is good, but at this point of the season, you just you can't be banking on matchup when the guy's done nothing for the last month. Yeah, the matchup is good. Christian Kirk is not. Kenyon Drake, a near must, though. He's been just decent as a player. He scored in four straight games, though, and the Cardinals' overall offensive outlook here is what boosts Kenyon Drake to basically must play for yeah. me. The only rushing volume risk seems to be if they fall behind, and I just don't see that in this game, and they're six-and-a-half-point favorites. And Chase Edmonds dealing with an ankle injury, didn't practice on Wednesday. Cliff Kingsbury already said he'd be a game time decision. I don't know how he already knows that on Wednesday. But, um, you know, if, if Edmonds is out, then we should get Drake in a three down role. So, you know, then he'd become, you know, a, a, an RB1 play this week. Jared, that's the kind of foresight that it takes to be an NFL head coach. Yeah, I guess so. Anything else from that game? Uh, Dan Arnold is like a, you know, super long shot flyer. Um, he has three touchdowns in his last two games, four touchdowns over his last four but he has just six total catches over those four games. The, the matchup's good against Philly. That, that's what makes him like an option. But I mean, you know, if he doesn't score, he's going to hurt you. But it's tight end. A lot of tight ends are going to hurt you if they don't score. Yes. Again, if you're reaching, flailing with your eyes closed, Dan Arnold could be a flashlight. New York Jets at Los Angeles Rams. Rams by 17 over under a 44. It is absolutely too late in the year to be trusting anything on the Jets side especially against the number three defense in DVOA. Yeah, 13.5 point implied total for the Jets. That tells you all you need to know. At least, at least I don't have to chase Denzel Mims or Brashad Perriman because this matchup is so bad. I'm not even interested. Thank goodness. On the Rams side, Jared Goff gets the Jets matchup that has allowed the second most quarterback points for the year. The fourth best matchup by our adjusted fantasy points allowed on the strength of schedule page. Four of the past five quarterbacks to face the Jets have topped 25 fantasy points. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the only one who didn't, and he was just kind of a stepped back in starter for that game. It, this you don't it, you don't have to decide whether the Rams are going to score passing or rushing in this game. Yeah. There's enough in the, to this matchup for everybody to do it. Um, 
And the offense is sixth in overall DVOA. The Jets also remain solid to strong in run defense. Yeah, and I mean, I know the concern with Goff is like, oh, he's going to get pulled in the fourth quarter because they're blowing him out. We saw that with Russell Wilson last week. But, I I mean, you know, the odds are he's going to have had a good game by that point when he does get pulled. Nice thing here, so the Rams – over the last four weeks, they're second in situation neutral pass rate. So when the games are close, they're throwing the ball at a high rate. Teams are passing on the Jets at the second highest rate in neutral situation. So when this game is still close, I think it points to the Rams going pass heavy because like you said, Matt, the Jets are so much worse against the pass than they are against the run. Yeah, and we had somebody ask earlier in the chat why Tom Brady is a better option than Jared Goff this week as our rankings have them right now. I'm not sure. I don't. Maybe he's not. I think maybe Jared Goff should be up a little higher. Yeah, I mean, I lean Brady there because I think you know his matchup is maybe not quite as good, but it's still still strong. And I, I just think the Falcons are more likely to keep that game close. Like the Jets aren't even trying. They they you know they they were pounding Frank Gore up the middle and they were down like three touchdowns to the Seahawks last week. I don't know. I don't think the Falcons are a very good bet to keep that game close either. I, I think really, it's, I think it's a coin flip between them. I can't tell yeah. you that either one is definitely a better play than the other one. The one other mark that might go in Goff's favor here, as I mentioned, is the Jets run defense is, is pretty solid. It's eighth in run defense DVOA. Quinn and Williams missed week nine. They had the week 10 bye. Since then, Quinn and Williams is back, of course. 3.6 yards per carry allowed to running backs in the four games since. One rushing touchdown for the season. Just 14th and rushing touchdown rate allowed despite allowing the second most points overall. So they've allowed a lot of points, but just middling in terms of running back touchdowns allowed, not a knock on cam Akers, not a, a signal that you need to not play cam Akers, but I'm just saying this is not a pushover rushing matchup. Wouldn't be surprised if we get something like 16 for 60 yards from cam Akers here. And then the huge day from Jared Goff. Yeah. I mean, it's the rushing volume against the jets that has made them, you know, a pretty nice matchup for running backs. And I think cam Akers is a good, Volume bad. He obviously had the 29 carries in that win against the Patriots. Also had three of the Rams four running back targets. So, you know, that that is nice that he's getting the passing game work too. So I think Akers is a borderline uh, RB1 in this matchup. Um, you know, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup must start as long as they're healthy. Um, Robert Woods didn't practice on Wednesday with a thigh injury. Usually I wouldn't be concerned, but, you know, they are coming off a, a long week with the Thursday night game last week. So Woods is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, certainly keep an eye on him there. And, you know, we talk about tight end flyers. Tyler Higby is somebody that I would play over trying to think of guys in that range. He would be very close to Dalton Schultz in the tight end rankings. I would probably take a shot on Tyler Higby over Jordan Reed. I mean, I I like both those guys over Dalton Schultz. Um, I think like Higby, um, Cole Komet, Jordan Reed are all sort of in the same range for me. So, you know, Similar to last year, we've seen the Rams go more two tight end sets again late in the season here. Uh, 59% of their snaps have been two tight ends over the last two games. Maybe it's just a matchup thing, but, you know, maybe we're seeing what we did last year. So Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. Jared Everett's actually out-targeted Higby uh, 10 to 8 over the last two games. I would still lean towards Higby as the better fantasy bet. Just, you know, we've seen it from him, you know, especially, uh, you know, late last season. But um, I think Everett is in the mix too if you're, you know, Desperate for a tight end. Yeah, I was going to mention that about more tight ends and more rushing. It certainly made sense last week against New England as they've been a pushover in rushing, in run defense most of the year. It might just be what the Rams are shifting to like they did late last season, though, and maybe they'll do that again this week against the Jets in a game they certainly probably don't feel like they need to air it out. Yep, Jets uh, 32nd in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. 
Kansas City Chiefs at New Orleans Saints. Chiefs by three, over under a 51 and a half. The Chiefs side, you play everyone. There's no big fantasy injuries here to worry about that I've seen, but both starting tackles did miss practice on Wednesday. I think that's a bigger potential issue for the run game than it is for Patrick Mahomes. Really, though, it's it's more so a, a positive for the edge rushers on the New Orleans side for IDP leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think it, w- it would be tough to bench Clyde Edwards Alaire. He actually got, you know, some of his best usage of the season last week, but we've seen the Chiefs go so pass heavy. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again in this matchup. The Saints are really tough against the run. But I mean, with CEH, you're you know, you're playing him for some passing game usage, you're playing him for some touchdown upside. So he he's okay. I just wouldn't be surprised if he's back to like 10 carries in this game. Saints side, there's a chance we see Drew Brees, but it doesn't sound like a good chance. Sean Payton said he's quote got a ways to go still before he's ready to play. And Taysom Hill has been fine in his absence. I mean, he'll, yeah, he's been fine from a real-life perspective. He's been really good for fantasy. Top 10 finish in three of his four games. The only exception was that funky Broncos game where he didn't have to do anything. Chiefs 30th in football outsiders run defense. I think, you know, Hill could have a big day on the ground here. Um, the Chiefs gave up 83 yards to Lamar Jackson. They gave up 42 yards to... Josh Allen, 27 yards and a score on the ground to Deshaun Watson. So I like Hill a lot. He, I think he's someone we'll be talking about on the DFS show tomorrow. Yeah, and that one week where he wasn't top 10, Taysom Hill still finished 13th, so it's not like he was bad in that one. I would expect more of a run-heavy approach here where they can succeed against Kansas City, and it should help to shorten the clock for the Chiefs offense. So we'll see how it goes. Taysom Hill's certainly been a good play. He's up in the top 10 regardless. Receptions returned for Alvin Kamara in the backfield last week. A team-high 10 targets in that game, caught seven. Maybe it's the kind of matchup, too, that even turns Latavius Murray into a down-the-list I need somebody with some kind of upside. Oh, here's Latavius Murray option. Yeah, maybe. Although we, you know we've seen it shift, you know, back more towards Kamara. You, you might have been right that his um, what was it, his foot injury, toe injury that you know that might have been limiting him. You know, those couple games because um, his usage was really nice last week and, and a great spot here again. The Chiefs bad against the run. Uh, Football Outsiders also has them 31st in running back coverage. They're 27th in adjusted points allowed to running back. So you know, definitely a week where you could get a really big Alvin Kamara game. I think you might be right as an approach you should generally take when I'm speaking. Here. <laughs> yeah. Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, each snared touchdown catches last week against Philly. That's two straight games with a touchdown for Cook. But Michael Thomas, to me, still remains the only good bet outside of the New Orleans backfield. Yeah, I mean, two straight games with a touchdown for Cook. He has nine targets over that span. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's back in the mix as like a you know tight end or bust flyer. Um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, six and five targets in his last two games. Traquan Smith has six targets in two straight games. So, I mean, they're down the line options, maybe like DFS flyers, but I agree. I think season long, it's really just Hill, Michael Thomas, and Kamara that you want to be banking on. Yeah, I'd play Jared Cook at the same level as I'd play Tyler Higby. Yeah, I, I even like Higby better there. I just think he's a better target bet. Cleveland Browns at New York Giants on Sunday night. The Browns by five. Over-under is up one, and a half, one point to 44 and a half. It's still tied for fourth lowest on the week. And really, this looks to me like it's probably going to be an ugly game. I think on the Cleveland side, on the Cleveland side, it's tough to like anything besides the running backs and Jarvis Landry. The Giants have been limiting to quarterback scoring. The Browns haven't cared about pushing the passing game in most cases. I would not bet on the Browns repeating that blitzkrieg that they started the Tennessee game with. And I'm also not betting on this game turning into a shootout. So I just think we're going to get low passing volume. I agree there. Um, you know, Baker's been really good the past three weeks. Actually, three straight top twelve quarterback finishes but those were all close games against Jacksonville Tennessee and Baltimore I think Cleveland should be able to win this game fairly easily with the run game so Baker 
not a quarterback one play for me this week. I think you can start both running backs, and I think you start Jarvis Landry. You know, he's still been in the slot for about half of his snaps since Odell Beckham was injured, so he will avoid James Bradbury for a, a good deal of this game. Now, if you're wondering about Baker Mayfield versus Gardner Minshew and Matt Ryan, I think I'd probably go ahead and take a shot on Mayfield. Yeah, so would I. On the Giants side, likely even less. Uh, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Wayne Gallman, the only guys I'm really considering at any level for season-long leagues. Gallman's in low RB2 territory, and Sterling Shepard is basically Danny Amendola. Did, did you see this is Freddie Kitchen's revenge game? <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Jason Garrett is on the COVID list, so he's not going to call plays. So it's Freddie Kitchens will be calling plays for the Giants against his old team. I, I don't think that matters at all. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think Evan Ingram is the only guy to like want to play just because tight end is, is so crappy. It's a good matchup. Brown's 30th and adjusted points allowed to the position, but you know there's little upside, especially if it's going to be Colt McCoy under center. You know who's happy to see Freddie Kitchens calling plays is Baker Mayfield. Yeah, right. <laughs> if anything, it's downgrading Giants for me. Let's close it out with the Pittsburgh Steelers at Cincinnati Cincinnati Bengals on Monday night in a game that's probably going to be well short of last Monday night's game. Steelers by 13, over under a 40. There's obviously nothing scary about this matchup. The problem with the Steelers on offense is the Steelers. How do you throw up four straight games of less than six yards per pass attempt with their wide receivers? For the year, Ben Roethlisberger is working on 6.3 yards per pass attempt. The only reason that is not a career low for him is because he went over, he went for just 5.7 last year in that category in the game and a half that he played with a busted elbow. So right now with Juju, with Deontay Johnson, with Chase Claypool, with James Washington, with Eric Ebron, we have the Pittsburgh passing game operating at busted Ben efficiency. Yeah, I mean, the offense is a mess. They have no running game and there's nothing downfield. So teams are starting to sit on the short stuff as they should. Um, I I mean, this is a prime get right matchup. The Bengals 29th in football outsiders past the 23rd and adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. Ben went for 333 yards and four touchdowns in this meeting back in week 10. That, That was like his last big game and he's really struggled since. He, he's okay. I mean, he he's not inside our top 12. He really should be in this matchup and what he did back in week 10, but just how poorly he's playing, he's not inside our top 12. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes top 12, though. Wide receivers, I would stick with Deontay Johnson and Juju. Juju has been the most consistent, really. He has six-plus catches in three straight games now and seven of his past eight. Deontay Johnson, he got benched in that game last week in the first half. In the second half, though, he ran her out on 100% of Roethlisberger's dropbacks. That's according to uh, Dwayne McFarrell and our buddy um, over at PFF. So, you know, the Steelers went back to Deontay Johnson. I think he'll, you know, be back to his usual playing time in this game. Chase Claypool and James Washington, I think, not really in consideration at this point. Claypool's usage has been bad. Playing time picked up a little bit last week. Ben Roethlisberger, though, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger should be fifth in our QB rankings this week with the matchup as it is, he's Justin Herbert with better receivers and bigger boobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Claypool and Washington are still splitting like, you know, the number three wide receiver duty. So, I mean, Claypool caught two touchdowns in the first game against the Bengals. He has that type of upside, but when you have a guy only running her out on like 50% of the dropbacks, um, you know, it, it, he, he comes with a low floor. Mm-hmm. Certainly upside. If you're looking outside the top 36 though, yeah. Eric Ebron uh, is still an option uh, on the, I think, tight end one fringe there's upside there's downside the the Bengals are actually uh middle of the league in terms of tight end coverage 14th in football outsiders rating yeah 14th there they are 26 and adjusted points a lot to the, to, to the position I think it's a, a pretty 
favorable matchup. And Ebron had had three straight pretty solid games before last week. So, you know, he, he sits inside the top 12 in our rankings this week. Yeah, two catches on six targets in the first meeting with Cincinnati. I think it is just kind of normal volatility, and we know that that's a possibility. But considering what else is at tight end, I'm probably starting Eric Ebron. Another thing that we should be doing is riding James Conner to the fantasy finals this week against Cincinnati. Instead, he's coming off 9, 13, 13, and 10 carries in his past four games. Three of those games were victories against weak run defense, and he's still barely getting the ball. Two, two, three, and zero targets in those games as well. Second smallest snap share of the season last week against Buffalo behind only the week one game where James Conner left early with a sprained ankle. So, I mean, the matchup keeps James Conner in consideration, but we need really a Miles Sanders style uh, playing time miracle here to like him. And he's also dealing with a quad injury. Uh, Mike Tomlin said that earlier this week. I haven't seen their first practice report of the week on Thursday here, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would, I, I would not want to use James Conner despite this matchup. If Conner's out, I think you know Benny Snell becomes a disgusting, you know, lower end RB two. He, he's not good, but um, he did see twenty four carries and seven targets in the two games that James Conner missed a couple of weeks ago. So vo- volume play. At least he's nice enough to have a name that just makes you not want to play him, Benny Snell. (laughs) Cincinnati side, let's just skip it. I'm not playing anybody. Yep, same as the Jets. I mean, 13.5 point implied total. I mean, the the most impressive part of T. Higgins' rookie season is that he somehow managed to catch five balls in each of the last three weeks with the crap the Bengals have been throwing out there. So he at least hasn't been killing you. But I, I, you know, any week here, he's going to have like an eight target, two catch game just because the quarterback play is so crappy. Yeah, but if you like living in the ground floor apartment because you're scared of heights and you don't want to go to the loft, you can play T. Higgins if you want to. Yeah, exactly. That's going to do it for this Week 15 Preview Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full Week 15 rankings. If you set up, if you set up on my team's page, you can also see those Week 15 projections applied to your scoring settings to get customized lineup recommendations for your league and your team. Be sure to check back through the weekend for any players who might move up or down based on injuries or me winning any other arguments with Jared along the way. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.